Okay, so we are mamish heading towards the end of Shara Bitachin. We are going to learn today the entire sixth chapter. Sixth chapter, whoever's using the beautiful white Shara Bitachins from Kahas on page 222. A very important introduction has to be given. And then I thought I'll give an introduction to the introduction. Without it, I don't think many people will appreciate this chapter. Okay, introduction number one. I want to tell you a beautiful story. The Alter Rebbe, whose special day we are about to commemorate, Dutas Kislev, had three had had six children. Him and his wife had six children. He had three sons. He had three daughters. His eldest son, who succeeded him, his eldest son who became the Mitla Rebbe, his eldest son who was named after the Maggid of Mezrich, Doiv Ber, had Kenai Nohara with his Rebetzin, had nine children, that's seven sons and two daughters. His eldest son was named Reb Nachum. Just to know some, some about history, the Maggid of Mezrich's eldest student was the great Nachum of Chernobyl. The Maggid of Mezrich's youngest Talmud was the Alter Rebbe. And the Maggid once expressed himself that he knows that Mashiach will be a descendant either from his oldest or his youngest student. When the Talmidim heard that, that's the way they made Shaduchim before there was a Shaduch crisis. So the Chernobyler went over to the Alter Rebbe and says, okay, that's it. We're going to marry into each other. By this, the words of the Rebbe will come true no matter from what direction. And that was the way they made Shaduchim. And so, he, so his eldest son, the Magids, I'm sorry, the, the middle Rebbe's eldest son was named after Rav Nachum because Rav Nachum of Chernobyl already had passed on. These were the greatest of the early founding fathers of the Hasidic movement. Now, another time to know, Jewish culture, which is, which is true in certain Hasidic families, it's true in certain uh, holy Moroccan families, many, amongst many holier people, marriage happens when they're very young. Very, very young. Okay, the only, from the Chabad Rebbe's, the only Rebbe that got married in the 20s, not in the late 20s, was our Rebbe, which was an exception. And it could be because of war, because of the inability of getting mar- married. Most holy people, these are different types of people, they got married when they were very young. I'm talking about 12, 13, 14, 15, and that range, both the men and the women. This is something that we already find in the Gemara. Just to note, in Pirkei Yavis it says, Ben Shmaina Esrei L'Chopa. So it's not the norm. It's the norm amongst holy people. It's both. It has to do both with their being on a different level of maturity. It has to do with them or their families making sure that they're not even in the realm of having certain challenges because there are certain uh, adult urges that when you're not married, the the, the, the channeling it or the... Uh, the suppressing it is a big nesoyin. And like this, they gave their children that opportunity that they never had that type of nesoyin in life or whatever other reason. I know the Gemara speaks about either a buyer or Rabbi, I forgot. These are one of the main Amoyroim from the Gemara. One of, the, one of them said, I was married, that was, I think, when I was 14. If my parents would have married me at 13, then I would tell the Satan, I poke you in your eye. In other words, you would have nothing over me. Anyways, these people got married very young. This Rav Nachum, I think he was 14 when they did a shidduch for him. 
another, you have to know the Jewish culture. T- today we're living in a world of abundance. And, and the Rebbe says that's a great thing. And, bar, and it should be more abundant for everyone. Amen. The type of poverty, you read these stories, you are, it's a different world. Garments, a new garment was unheard of. You got hand-me-down garments. The, the norm was that when you got married, I'm speaking about the men. When a man got married, for his wedding, they tailored clothing. And that was the last time he had tailored clothing in his life. They would say, you tailor it once, and that would be up until the tachrichim. Because they couldn't afford it. If it got the it got this, they made a patch. Like like they, they were they were a different type of world. So then now you have to understand if someone understands that there's one time in his life upa, that they're making for him a tailored garment. Tailored there was no there was no other way. There wasn't stores. You got a tailor. You bought material. It was a big thing, and he was excited. He's getting married. He's a 14 year old, and they called the tailor and they're making a, a suit or what a garment. At his time. The fashion, Chachamim Lahara, over there in Paris or in Italy, wherever they come from, they decided that men's garments should have collars. That was the time. Before that, a men's beggar had no collar. The Alter Rebbe, knowing that they're tailoring a beggar for his grandson, for his wedding, called in his grandson, and he asked his grandson, I want to know, is it with a collar? Modern? Or is it without a collar? So he says, no, he says, it's with a collar. Like, hello, I'm from the young generation. It's a very interesting story. So the Alter Rebbe told him, it would be very important for you to tell the tailor to take off the collar. And the grandson says, Zayda, no, 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 I, I want to wear the collar. I want the collar. There was a back and forth. There was a machlekes between the Zayda and the grandson. And listen to this. And the Alter Rebbe tells his grandson, if you're going to take off the collar, meaning if you're going to tell the tailor to take off the collar, I promise you that after you're 120, you will be with me in Ganeiden. Imi v'mechitsasi. Like, he hears that, he says, okay, if that's the case, you win. But he asked a question. He says, when I'm going to tell the tailor to remove the collar, am I doing it because you want that, which is true? Or do you want me to tell the tailor to remove the collar because I have to bring myself to a place where I don't care b'chal about the fashion. From is it that I need to want it? So the Alter Rebbe told him that Hasidim have to be genuine. No, you you have to want it to be removed. So he says, Zayda, I love your promise. I want to be with you in Gan Eden. I'm not there. I I cannot bring myself to that. So the Alter Rebbe told him, if that's the case, that nothing happened, that's good. If that's the case, leave the collar on. Hold on. The Rebbe spoke about the story. And the Rebbe wanted to understand why was the Alter Rebbe willing to give him such a lofty spiritual reward for something that's apparently not a big deal. It was a big deal. Why was it a big deal? And listen to this idea, that the, the Rebbe said this, that every now and then, every few hundred years, a new type of klipa comes into the world. When we use the word klipa, we don't mean to say something tamay or terrible, chazir. It means something that in itself does not reveal God, could be used for the bad, 
And with a lot of work, you can use it somehow for the good. But that takes a lot of human effort. He says, once the clip is introduced into the world, he says it takes hundreds of years until it's elevated and rectified. Rectified and elevated. But if something is introduced in the world, and right away it's nipped in the bud, right away you, you see it and you reject it, you finished with it. And the Rebbe explained that the, the klipa of fashion, which for many people can be such a distraction and such a waste of money when not used properly, came into the world then. And the Al-Tarebbe knew that his grandson was exactly in that place. It was something new for him. He was young. He was attracted to it. He wanted to dress modern. If he then would have been able not externally. He was willing to tell the tailor, take it off. If he would be able to come to an inner place where, you know what? Staka not important. And then even more than that, that's the fashion, dafka not the fashion. I'm going to dress the way my... If he would be able to get to that place, he would nip the clip on the butt. And I think it's a very good story because there are many ideas that, again, I'm... Everything, everything has some good in it. That's the way God made this world. Even things that I pr- are primarily used for the bad have good in it. And there are many ideas that are a mixture of good and bad. We always call it klipa. We call it klipa because anything in the world that's not pure taita and mitzvahs has, it can be misused. It can be, a, it can be like a shell. It can distract us. It can drag us down, etc. I want to introduce a topic, which is the topic of the sixth chapter, that for many of us, will be foreign. Like almost not even necessary. Good for you. If this topic of this chapter is not necessary, it means either for a few hundred years after he wrote this, people worked on it and they got rid of this klipa, or you heard it, you right away rejected it and you nipped it in the bud. So don't feel strange if what I'm going to speak about is foreign. And now I'm going to get to the topic. That will be my second intro. And this topic is huge. Okay. Most people don't struggle. Most people that I know don't even struggle. Like I said, it's a non-issue. Someone nipped it in the bud for us. I certainly don't want to introduce a new clipper. God forbid. But there was such a thought. There is a category of people that the Rabbeinu Bahai calls Balei Hamashkoi Nois. If you see on page 222. Balei Hamashkoiners are people that are constantly taking security, security pledges. It means they only give if they take a pledge. Let me tell you what I mean by this. One of the foolish slogans that everyone realizes is not a sh- in, 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 in a certain context is this expression of unconditional love. When I say not a sh- I mean to say sheker. Let me tell you what I mean by this ideal of, oh, unconditional love in certain settings is sheked. Not, not only is it not true because you're not there, you're not supposed to get there. Give me a mush. Give me a mush. Right? Think about any relationship. Any relationship in which you're the only one that's lifting up the other. You're the only one that's making effort to enhance the relationship, etc., etc., and the other party is lahepach. Right? Let's say using the modern day are abusive. Are you supposed to stay in that relationship? 
I'm not talking about all cases. That's what I'm saying. So not so posh. I would argue that there are certain relationships, even though people say, oh, it's unconditional love. Sheker. Not only sheker, no. No, you're not supposed to put yourself out there if the other party sees you as his or her punching bag. That's not what the title wants. Once we accept that as emes, which it is, so then Bahal, the whole idea of unconditional love has to be addressed. Are we spo- uh, is there supposed to be unconditional love? Hashem loves us unconditionally. It says, yes. So what does that mean? I'm asking you. I think yes. Okay, in a marriage, are we looking to have unconditional love? So I'm asking you, so if someone, God forbid, is married to a partner, not only they, not only they don't put in the effort, they interact with you in a way, whether it's their fault, whether it's not their fault. It doesn't mean you need to put yourself in a place where you are their punching bag, but you can still have unconditional love without being a punching bag and there's no separation. Then those words are fake. Oh, yeah. Why? What, what, what does it mean unconditional love? If a person doesn't love their partner enough and they walk away from the marriage, so they say, oh, I still love you, but I'm walking out of the marriage. They always wish them well. That's not called unconditional love. No, that's not, that's not a word. It's not MS Shekhet. In other words, that they, they love them, they wanted to be with them on certain conditions. Uh, people date. Why are people dating? Just marry. No, you're dating because you want to see whether there are certain conditions that are being met. I'm just trying to give it words to understand what he's talking about. The only, yeah. the only unconditional love is the parents to the children. And children to the parents. No. I would say by children to the parents. I disagree with that. Kavad Savicha doesn't say love. Very good. I think if a if a parent, even if the parent is innocent, meaning they're not doing this consciously, if they are God forbid doing things to their children that is to the detriment of the children, God forbid that God wants the child to be in that Daladamas. Run away from fire. I'll give you the extreme example. If a father is trying to burn his child, to burn him up, and the father says, come here, is God telling the child, go there and get burnt? God forbid. Get burned literally with a flame? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm, it's, it's, I just want to give a marshal. In other words, that there are certain relationships, I would argue, most relationships have to be conditional. They have to be conditional. That knowledge will make the relationship better. This is a long topic. There might be exceptions. But in the extreme, certain conditions must be met. So the way they word it in America, gimmick. No, 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 I love you. I'm just going away from you. Okay, if you want to call that love, gesundheit. hate. So then it's unconditional. I'm not talking about the fact that a parent and a child are forever parent and a child. You cannot disown your parents. You cannot disown your children. That's a fact. I'm talking about love. I'm talking about a feeling. For the beginning of the life of a child, that mother gets up 5 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning. Sure. Breastfeed. Sure. 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 That is unconditional love. When the child is 10 years old or the child is 30 years old, right, and, and the child wants to kill the parent. I'm asking you, should they make themselves available for the child? Yes. Should they make available and come? You want to shech me? Come, here's my neck. But is available equal to love? Well, it's very much related, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Love, love is a feeling of attraction, of trying to be close. How are you close? By saying no, you can be close to that child. That's not called love. That's called the boundaries. You can relate to the child through boundaries, through gavura. Unconditional gavura, I get. Can we say that we love, like unconditional, like we'll always love a, that person, but you don't have to like them very much. You, you, the, un- love is a sheket. It's a lie. Wait, so are you saying it's unconditional love or it's not love at all? No, I'm saying the opposite. Without? I'm saying that, that the emesis is that is that these inter- the relationships are conditional. I'm not talking about whether biologically it's a father and child, of course. What I'm saying is is a truth that everyone knows of. They just they use words to to become farklipit. Everyone, just think about it. You are you are closer to a person. I'm not saying that it's tit for tat, but I'm saying extreme. There are certain conditions. There are if if you are if you are in a relationship of closeness, and if certain conditions will be broken, you will move back. That means that when you are in, it's conditional. Might not be verbalized. It's conditional. Does God love us unconditionally? Oh, very good. I personally don't understand because <laughs> Tanya says that we need to love every single Jew. You don't necessarily want to be connected and in relationship with every single Jew, but you still love them. No, 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 no. No. So, so let's go back to a parent and child. I'm speaking about the biological connection. That's unconditional. Okay. Just like bigashmias, a child is, is the geshem of the parents, mamish. And therefore siblings, they are their same flesh. That connection is unconditional. Right. That connection, the soul. Between the siblings or between the parents? Same thing, it's all connected. It's the family. The family, you know, the family unit, I'm not talking about the love, I'm talking about their connection. They're connected, they're the same basar echad. The soul of the Jews is one neshama. Right. That connection is, is, is a fact. But it's also subconscious. It's not yeah, I, I got that. But I'm saying on that level, I'm not talking about love. I'm talking about I'm the feeling of closeness. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, always, I'm always, if a person has a limb and the limb is poisoning them to death, I'm giving just extreme examples. person has a limb and the limb has a, an infection and they're told by the chachamim, what do you do? Cut, Cut it off. Yes, it does. I want to. I'm just trying to give words. So boundaries within a relationship. You're saying every relationship has to have boundaries. Every relationship has to have. First of all, everyone has it. This doesn't have to be preached. People have to be told that you have to be compassionate and you have to be forgiving. And if you're not getting hurt, there's no abuse, no stuff like that. No, then people should advocate you expanding. But the, this blanket, unconditional, is it. It's not true. It's not, it doesn't exist. Huh? Expanding, sorry. I just really want to understand. Expanding what? That means like this, that even though you have one... Let's go into marriage. People get married. The reason why they're dating, the whole process of dating means it's conditional. If not, why date? Why date? Just, Just... Marry that's anyone. Not, that's not a contract of love. It's a contract of marriage. You can still get divorced and still love the person. 
<laughs> if a person loves everyone always all the time, then that's an unconditional lover. But if you have certain people who you love and certain people who you know, whatever it is that's causing, that's your condition. It's called a condition. I want to go more. Let's go to the Pasha. Yitzchak loved Esav. Yitzchak loved Yaakov. And God forbid to, to be foolish like the foolish people out there that say, Taka, they made a mistake. You know, the, the problem that we have is, is that we became so saturated with Western ideas, some of which might be great. Most of it is very distorted is that this becomes such a strong premise because many times when you have like stumped a rabbi, people that are not through him, they have questions like, Rabbi, why do we have to praise God that much? Right? Would you ever have to praise your father three times a day because he's giving you bread? Like the foolishness of, the, the question is not a question because, because my very existence is being recreated by God every minute. I would argue praising God the whole day is not enough. Who who sets the premise? What's enough and what's not enough? The Torah. And if the Torah says daven for a man three times a day, that's exactly the right amount. Less than that is too little. More than that was not necessary. It's nishkaferlech that praise God more than necessary. I'm saying there are many ideas. There, there are many ideas in this in this in this noisa that were completely off. The premise we we should know that we have to get corrected by the Torah. The, the topic that he's speaking about, Bali Mashkoinus, is what I would call conditional love. Conditional, conditional love. Conditional love. What's that second word? The second word. Bali, masters of a pledge taker means that I'm going to give to you when I'm secured that you're going to give back to me. Quid pro quo. Even if it's not exact. When people read this, they say, None of us are Baal Mishkainis, but they're lying to themselves. That's all I want. I gave this intro to point out, it sounds nice, it sounds pure, it's not Emes. The only, the only relationship, the only relationship in which there has to be no conditions is between us and God. <clears throat> We have a lot of conditions to God. <laughs> we have a lot of conditions to God, so that's like I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't relate to, to that. Us, no, but us to God uh-huh. is okay. And he's writing a whole chapter by demonstrating that the more a person lives with bitachin in Hashem, the less they will be part of the group of people that have a relationship to God based on based on a mashkin. Give me just a second. I think this is not. Or you could just tell it to no, me. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. Say it happens all the time. No problem. Battery, 100%. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I thought I did it, but obviously I didn't. That's the whole thing. We don't have conditions if we trust that everything Hashem is doing is for our highest best. Then there's no conditions. No matter what you do, Hashem trust Very good, very good, very good. Very good, very good, very good. Oh, my my, my, my point in the beginning words, was is that most of us, especially people that grew up. There's someone over here. If they can mute themselves here on the Zoom, that would be helpful. I know it's by accident, but it's a little bit disturbing. Most of us take this idea of unconditional love so, of course, of course, that when they read this, they don't understand, why do I need him to tell that to me? I know that. I was taught that by that Chacham or the other Chachama here in the world. 
So first of all, beautiful. I want to. I gave my story. If you love God unconditionally, mamish, then either someone nipped it in the bud for you, or good that you thought about it and you're rejecting it. He's spending a long time addressing people who do have a conditional love with God. Most of us might say to ourselves in our minds, I love God unconditionally, but there are certain expectations that we have from God, and that's called conditional love. And the only reason why we indeed are meant to love God unconditionally, because unlike our parents, who even when they mean well, might, not from the fault of their own, do things to us that is very hurting, and we have to have that boundary and the same thing about loving our fellow Jew. If someone is trying to kill you, I really hope you protect yourself. There are certain conditions in relationships. The only relationship in which there are zero conditions is with Hashem. Because Hashem is really good. And all that God does for us is for our good, even though some people are tested in that area. It's very difficult. Easy for me to say. I know that I acknowledge. But he spends a whole chapter explaining why don't seek a pledge from God's security. Now, to the extreme, the extreme condition, the extreme condition would be, I only give to you after I took something from you to secure. Like if I'm going to give you a loan, first give me a security. I don't want to keep your security. Right? I'm going to lend you $100. Give me your pen that's worth $100. And now that I have it, now I feel secure to lend you the money. Even if you'll default, I already have my payment. That's called the Baal Mashkoinus. And he, the whole chapter is written on the premise that we have that relationship with God. I'm telling you that Western people are not conscious of it. Because we were bombarded, unconditional love, uncond- even though the M is with our spouse, we have conditional love. And with your kids, you have conditional love. And with your fellow Jew, you have conditional love. Even though you say, no, I love them unconditionally. Sheked, at least own up, it's not true. Oh, I'm, that's all I'm saying. People don't have that capacity. And there is a good part to that. Because if you would be connected to them, like Lahavdal, the Christians believe in turning the cheek, it's against Yiddishkeit. Boundaries and conditions, which is a boundary, is important. Now, not with God. Now, in other words, what I want to use different oasis with our children. We love them regardless, but we either accept their behavior or we reject their behavior. So this whole nuance. No, I love you, but I reject your behavior. But I still love you the same. The emes emeses. No, Yitzchak loved Esav. Meaning that there was a certain love that Yitzchak had to Esav more than he had to Yaakov. And Yaakov loved Rivka. She loved Rivka more than she loved Esau. Tanya expects this for every like every Jew to love every Jew. What's the Tanya? Tanya wants you to know that just like your right hand loves your left hand, in that context, love every single Jew. So this is the level of love that you're talking about. The level of love is not what I'm talking about. No, it's what you're talking about that we are bound to our fellow Jew regardless what effect. I don't. I don't like the word love. We're we're connected. Uh-huh. We're connected. We're one. Okay. Or let me word it differently. The way people have self love. Self love is a very distorting attribute. The only way we survive. Because if we would look ourselves the way we look at others, we would we would we would be so judgmental against ourselves that we are it to begin with. 
So when we do something wrong, we right away minimize it and we say, okay, I'm a great guy, I made a big mistake, but I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Love to your fellow the same way. The Yacha means the way you love yourself, love your fellow. Because your fellow and yourself are one. But even towards yourself, do you love yourself unconditionally? Yes and no. Yes and no. Yes. But no. No is because you have a certain expectation of self. You're not making yourself dependent on it. I mean, I know we have to get there. We have to have self-value regardless what we do. But we have to have expectations. Once you put in expectations in the equation of a relationship, then that's called conditional. Expectations means if you, if you, if you, you know, if you get to the expectation, there's a greater connection. If you didn't fulfill, there's a disappointment. Are there no disappointments you got as with your kids? I'm asking, or with your spouses, or with your parents? That disappointment is what I'm calling conditional. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> with God, it's wrong. Only. Because God really doesn't do anything bad for us. In other words, when a person really lives with Pitachin, they're going to be connected to, and they're going to be loving towards God without any conditions. But didn't God choose your spouse? <laughs> Didn't God give me the right to divorce my spouse? God chose your spouse. Anything that happened, you said, thank you, God. This is great. That's what you chose for me. Correct. Because that's linked to the love for God. 100%. So you shouldn't have any complaints about that. I'm not talking about having complaints. I'm talking no, about okay. I'm talking about balimashkin. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find different words in balimash. I read this chapter. Don't be amongst the people that take security from God. I think who takes security from God? But I don't know all, people. All of the, everything we learn in Bitachon is it is all for the good. Yes. It is all for the good, and in the end of the day, it's all going to be good, and it is all for your best. What if it's not for your best? And Hashem's intentions, Chaspashalom, are not good. We don't believe in that God. We don't believe in we don't believe in that God. Okay, fine. We don't believe in that God. Unconditional, unconditional love and true betachon should be that even if it's not for my best, or do we? That's it. I'm talking about my relationship with God. Balamashkoinas, which is something that I cannot relate to, but if I reframe it, for me. Balamashkainis means that when I have relationships with other people, I'm taking a security. So what's taking a security doesn't mean that I'm taking a security. It means that I have a certain expectation. There's a certain condition. So that's what that word means? That's what I understand it. And and it's a chiddush. No, it's, it's an avoida. If people really love their fellow unconditionally, then this chapter is superfluous. You can go home. Don't listen to the rest. Like, why do you even... He makes seven arguments why you shouldn't take a pledge from God. I'm just trying to make it more relatable. So we're, we're speaking about people that have a conditional relationship. I'm just adding that all of us have conditional relationships. But we, then we tell ourselves, no, it's unconditional. As long as you're nice to me, then I love you unconditionally. That's basically what it is. The moment you step on my foot, I will not. I'll preach about it. I'll give class about it. But it's a sheked. We're not going to be there. And in most cases, thank God you're not there. If you would be there, then you would put yourself out there in the wrong way, and you have to protect yourself. And you can argue with that. I have no problem with that. So I'm going to read the, 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 the recap of all of the seven reasons. We're going to go to page 234. These are seven reasons why you should not take a pledge from God. From your fellow, take a pledge. From God, don't take a pledge. 
Number one, it only makes sense to take a security pledge from someone who has no control over you. Which means, if there are two independent beings, you're asking for me to give you something, which is what God is asking from every Jew, do this and don't do that. Hashem wants a lot from us. And I want from God. Right? We want health, we want uh, Parnosa. If we're an American, we want to be happy. <laughs> we want. Okay. So God wants and I want. So, I mean, the extreme pledge take will be to God. God, first, I'm going to win the lottery. Ever heard those people? And then I'll give tzedakah. Everyone tells me that. Rabbi, when I win the lottery, that's called taking a pledge. Yeah, I'm not talking about giving money you don't have, but the concept of first you give me, and then I'll give you. I don't think we know people that consciously think that way about God. I don't know such people. But I do understand the idea of conditional love. I understand that. And that's worded this way, worded that way. We all have that. And we have that with God. Like how close do we feel to God? Like when you wake up in the morning and things are going the way you think things should be going, it's so easy to feel close to God. That's what I mean by security taker. A person gets up and they heard what they consider to be bad news. I know it's not bad, but it's painful. For me, it sounds bad. God forbid, God forbid. Sometimes people go through big tests in life. And, and, and having a close relationship to God is very difficult. That's who he's talking to. Was if you have two independent beings, then one can tell the other, why should I lend you? Maybe you won't give me back. But if I'm your servant, if I'm your a servant, cannot ask of a security from the master because the master has the right to take and to give at the master's will. In other words, the basis of our relationship with God is, is that we're not equal to God. Of course, we we would hope that we would feel how God is our parent. Amen. But there's also the relationship of God being our king. God being our king means that God gives Hashem Nasan, Hashem Lakach, we say that by a burial, and may God's name be blessed. There's, there's a basis with that. I know it's not lovey-dovey and it doesn't feel uh, warm, but it's an emiss. So since the relationship begins with God, God is on top and we are on the bottom. We're not equals, <laughs> God forbid. So why would you take a security pledge? He's your, he's your melech. Number two, it only makes sense to take a security pledge that is of limited value. Think about that. If you're asking of me to lend you a million dollars, I cannot ask of you a pledge for $20 million. No, no, no. You, you only want a million. You, what we are asking of God, see, we take it as a given. My life. How do you put a value on your life? Of course, I would love to have a life and to be happy. But if I'm not happy, I'm alive. There was a governor in Sao Paulo right before I moved here. I was very moved by it. He was a, from a, a Catholic. He got, he got this illness and that he went through a lot of tzaddas. And he had a very good attitude. And he had a lot of muna. And they asked him on television. He says, aren't you angry with God? He says, God is giving me life right now. Mm. You know, he hopped that. In other words, I'm already getting so much. Of course, nothing wrong with us wanting life. And we should want and we should daven. And collectively, for the Jewish people, we deserve it. To say, I deserve it. I don't think that's the way a Jewish way. But we definitely, as a group, we deserve it. But God is already giving us more than we. He's giving us more than He's asking from us. So why? That means we don't appreciate what we have. Number three, it only. It makes no sense to take a security pledge from someone to whom you already owe money. 
In other words, if I'm asking you to lend me a million dollars and I owe you nothing, then I can say maybe you're not going to pay me back. Think about our lives until now. Were we such uh, great players? If God would have loved us conditionally, we would be in big tzoros. So God, no, God has expectations, but after the fact, he expands, he's forgiving. So we are already in debt. So if, I'm, if, if, if I don't accept that, then, then I, I'm, not, I'm not acknowledging where I'm at and the reality. Number four, it only makes sense to take a security pledge from other humans who are limited in their, in their capabilities. In other words, if, if, you're, if I'm lending you money, what's my fear? My fear is you might not have money to pay back. I were to know for sure you will always have money to pay back. I would never take a security pledge unless I think you're a ganav. Like, like you're talking about God over here. God God has all the money in the world. God still wants our money. Don't get me wrong. Basically, that's the whole joke. But um, but God can pay back. God has unlimited capacities to pay back. Number five, the objective of a security pledge is peace of mind. So he's writing something beautiful. However, in this case, he's focusing specifically on people that say, God, you want me to be observant? I have to make a living. Let's make a cheshven. How many money? How much money do you need to raise and marry off a kid? Who knows the answer to that? Where? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Yeah, in LA. Even over there, even over there in Atlanta. I don't know the number, guys. It's a lot more than you think. Don't say it. They'll scare people from having kids. But let's say a person makes the cheshven, and for every kid, you need $5 million. Stomach, you need more. It means you have five kids, you need 20. So now a person will tell God, listen, God, you want me to be from? You want you want from me? You give me $25 million. Okay, let's, let's work with that. Why do you want you that security pledge? No, we're telling God, God, you, God, give me $25 million, and then I'll do what you want from me. I'm conditioning my dedication, my commitment to what God is doing for me. Conditional love. What I'm calling. One second. You see, God, is, God has the money to give me tomorrow, but I, I, I want it now. Why do you want it now? Because it gives you peace of mind. Does it give you peace of mind? What do you think if someone gives you now $25 million, how do you know you're going to have it in 10 years from now when you'll need it? Where are you going to put it exactly? You tell me you'll put it in the stocks? What does that mean? You're going to buy cryptocurrency? No, look at the world. That People should acknowledge that. I'm securing my financial future. A joke. It's a, really a joke. We should have a harchava. But no one, and no one is under that illusion. Nothing is ever fully secured. So you're not going to have peace of mind anyway. You might as well leave it with God. Leave it with God. It's safer with Him. <laughs> and you're saying when you need it, it'll be there. Yeah. With God. Right. With other people. He's not saying don't take... Same with the Irish. No, it's bitachin leads you to that place. All types of conditions that people put, I'm going to give to you based on what you're going to give to me, not shayach. Okay, God will give it to you. It doesn't help anything. Might as well leave it with God. How great is that? You know, there's a story, you remember as a kid, that there was a person, um, we say this every day in Dominic. I want you to know the real meaning of these words. The literal meaning is, is that wealth and honor is in your hands. Right? You, God, you give the wealth. You give the honor. If you decide someone is not going to be honored, they'll never be honored. That's the literal. Hasidim understand it. What is wealth? Being in front of you. If you, are, if you are in the presence of God, that's wealthy. Covet, people want covet. You know what covet means? Being milfanech. 
That's the Hasidic understanding. The literal is that God, you have the power to give. And the Medrash says that if a person has all the money in the world, if God only wants, in one second they'll lose it. And if someone has nothing in the world, if God wants, in one moment they'll get all the money. So there's a, a story in the times of the Baal Shem Tev that a Yid davened, and he learned the Medrash. Again, like we began our story today, you want to be Emes. So yeah, you can think those words. He says, I don't, I, I, it doesn't, it's not really, really, really Emes. He was a very wealthy guy. He was a very wealthy person. One moment, he says, it's not shy for me to lose my wealth in one moment. One of these Balshantov stories. And as he's having these thoughts, he lived in a neighborhood in which in those streets, Jews cannot walk, which was very common in Europe. And as he's thinking about God's power and what good guy, he wandered off and they arrested him right away. And they told him that if he's not going to write over all of his money to the church, they're going to burn him. Right away, he wrote a document and he says, God, you win. All the wealth in one instant can be lost. But then he says, the Medrash concludes that in one moment, you can get it all back. So that, that document was in the church and something happened and the church burned down and he was wealthy again. And the Baal Shem Tov told him, be careful what you're thinking about. Yeah? Wow. Number six. Wasn't the other story that the um, big, that rabbi was sitting and putting all of the money in front of himself, so he was comfortably dawning, so he was like putting everything in front of him, the money, so he... That same rabbi, at the end of the day, gave away all of his extra money. Because he had bitachin that tomorrow, God will give me for tomorrow. There you go. Number six. Since Hashem's kindness is unlimited, makes no sense to take a security pledge from him. And that's one of the principles he laid on in the beginning. That God loves us taka unconditionally. Even when we're not worthy. Not, I'm worthy. No, God gives even though we're not worthy. We should understand that not every time God God is giving you, it means that you merited, you did something. And not every time a person perceives themselves to be suffering, is it really a punishment? It's not always that way. We don't know. Could be. Could be not. We don't know. Number seven. A person can only repay his, his responsibilities towards God with God's help. As such, it makes no sense to take a security pledge from God when he might not be able to repay God what he already owes. So I take a security pledge. I'm also an honest person. I just don't trust that you're going to pay me back the money. But if you will pay me back the money, I'm going to give you back the pledge. Who can ever tell God that if he gives us something that we will be able to give it back to him? Even though we have freedom of choice. But even when we have freedom of choice, it's God's giving me the life and the koyach and, and answering my prayers this morning. Don't bring me to an assignment. We have freedom of choice. You know, the famous story, David HaMelech, David HaMelech, you know, he was such a great person. There was no one as great as him. And, and this, is not, this is coming from a place of Emes. So when he davened every morning, Elikei Avram, Elikei Yitzchak, Elikei Yaakov, he didn't understand why doesn't it say Elikei David. This is not from arrogance. He was from the all of mankind if you have to pick the top three greatest people that ever lived, Adam, David, Mashiach, which is Adam. And God told Adam, you're not mentioned in there because I never tested you. So he says, God test me. So God brought about Bathsheba. And he failed the test, whatever that means. And he 
told us, Davin every morning, don't test me. You're talking amazing and you have freedom of choice and you're disciplined. You never know, God forbid, what would happen if you were to be tested. So us doing our part, even though it's our responsibility, we still have Hashem's help. When a person contemplates on any one, and certainly in all of these seven, a person should get to a place based on our trust in Hashem of having a real unconditional connection and love and commitment, no matter what, to God and me, Godel, that we come from Avram Avinu, like he personified that. No matter what God did to him, he never turned his face to God. Between other people, you should. Someone is apparently doing something that you perceive as hurting you. In front of the Eivishter. Now, taking it down a little bit of a notch, when you're speaking about godly people, I want you to know that in certain Hasidic traditions, a Rebbe would slap a Hasid. Say in America... You go to jail. The Gere Rebbe's were big in that. So you have the, there's a guy that still kind of slaps. Okay, so I don't. I know this is none of this is politically correct. Are you talking in a school? No, the Rebbe himself. Oh, okay. I don't know why. To wake you up. Yeah. I don't. When do you, the, the, instead of you have to be a, yeah, you have to be on a very high level to be mizoyche to a slap. And when Hasidim would get a slap, they would never turn their face away. That's with that tzaddik. That's someone who's a ruach hakodesh. Let me go back. You don't like that. Let's go back to God. In life, in life, we get slaps. Let's acknowledge that. Yeah. Even though we believe it's for our good, but we don't perceive it that way. When we get a slap from God, we don't turn our face away. When we have bitachah. Turning our face away would mean, God, if you're going to keep on slapping me, I'm out. I can't do this. With God, no. Now, we ask that we should never get a slap. We daven... We do everything we could that our life should be good, as the Rebbe used to word it, but our commitment to God is unconditional. Even more than that, you know that when you give tzedakah, the Gemara says, you are allowed to give tzedakah and saying, I'm giving tzedakah on the condition that my son will live. No, a person never had a child that was not well. You can do that. Why are you allowed to do it? The Gemara says, because a yid, if God forbid their child won't live, they will not regret that they gave tzedakah. You know, it's, there's nothing wrong with doing a mitzvah, like we say to him, right? That's not called conditional. You know why it's not conditional? Because a yid who says to him, for God to heal someone, if God forbid that person is not healed, they don't regret. Ah, you tricked me. I wouldn't have done it. I would have done it no matter what. I don't regret the mitzvah. How powerful is that? I remember when I lived in Israel, there was a soldier that was kidnapped. Or there was a yid that was kidnapped and there was an attempt to rescue him on a Friday night. It was such a tragedy. This is like in seconds. And in the last second, they killed they killed the hostage. They killed that yid. And that out of Shabbos, I remember everyone in Eretz Yisrael lit Shabbos candles. It, it, it was it probably 94. Google it. And she, after the Fuma family, she got after Shabbos, she got on national television and she told everyone that she thanks everyone for the candle. And it was not in vain. Now, that was a yid, even though it wasn't conditional. So doing something in order is not taking a pledge. Nothing wrong. I'm asking God. I'm doing a mitzvah. Please help me. Bechlal, we are allowed to daven from God without any reason. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't tell God, allow me to go into Israel because I'll do a mitzvah. Or because I did a mitzvah. He didn't even say that. You can ask God, the stam, Moshe Rabbeinu told God, I don't deserve it. 
He didn't argue with God. Not, I deserve it. I'm worthy. No, I'm not worthy. But you're God. Give it to me anyways. That's a yid. And even if you put a condition, it's not an essential condition. It's asking Hashem, help that person or help me. But no matter what happens, the mitzvah is the same. It doesn't waver. Because that's that's the meaning of Betachem. That's a beautiful expression of Betachem. Thank you.